Welcome to Waiting for Review, a show that follows the journeys of two iOS developers. I'm Dave Wood, an iOS developer in Wellington, New Zealand. And I'm Dave Knott, an iOS developer from Devon, England. Join us as we discuss the development code and technology of our journeys. Okay, just before we get started, we've got a quick bit of housekeeping. Um, we'd like to remind you that we now have our own Slack channel for the show. Um, information on how you can join will be in the show notes, um, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter at WFR Podcast. It'll be great to have you join us. We actually have some good news today as well. Um, we've um, we've got a house sorted out. No way. Yeah. That's cool. So, Where, whereabouts? Um, so we're in a suburb called Newlands. Um, which is just north of Wellington. Um, in fact, is that uh, kind of as far out as you wanted, or because I know you were thinking where you are now is as far out as you'd possibly like to be. It's about equal, and it's a bit less, um, bit less isolated actually. Nice. Um, so that that suits us for sort of what we wanted. Um, so even even if um, even if you know we're there a year and we decide we want to move somewhere more um sort of more further out or whatever then this place is ideal to start off with um hang on i didn't take long did it no so did i, I just googled where it is it's, it looks really yeah i've just sent you um sent you the google maps link um so if you hit that up you can actually street view it it's, it's on the corner of a road and Back home, I might have been iffy about that, just in terms of like traffic and this that, and the other. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not really an issue. There's uh, yeah, but you get a corner plot, you get more garden. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we do. If you've got that on your screen now, yeah, yeah. If you go down the street that it's next to, and there's a parked car on Street View, yeah, that parked car is parked almost where our back fence ends. Oh yeah, I see. So you got quite a bit behind there as well. Yeah. So how long are you in here for? Uh, potentially f- fixing it for a year. So I've got to got to discuss that with them. We've we've just had the draft contract through, all going well. Uh, we move in in a couple of weeks. That's wicked. Yeah. That's really cool. In fact, actually, that's less than a couple of weeks. It'd be a week Friday we get the keys. Um, so you still have a little bit of time left on the Airbnb at that point. Yeah, we've got a week's overlap. Um, that's cool because if you need to like have a couple of nights at the old place while you get the new place set up yep. or whatever I suppose it's nice to have that yeah, it, ex- buffer isn't it exactly that and it means I can do stuff like get the internet in before we sort of properly move out move in um, and that sort of stuff as well mm. so hopefully oh, cool. hopefully that all times and then you know we we when we officially sort of move in properly we'll have everything all set up and we won't have all our stuff, but you know we'll have internet and we'll have some level of stuff put in because I'm gonna probably going to rent a few things. Um, there's a a rental site that we should be able to rent everything from, like a bed to um, washing machines and stuff like that. So, hmm. yeah, um, yeah. Get get the internet in would be my advice because we switched over our internet from BT to Plusnet. Yep. And uh, on Thursday was like our switch over day. Yeah. So we switched the broadband and the phone as like a bundle. And the phone went over first at about oh, seven or eight in the morning. Yeah. So I got a text through. 
and then the internet with BT died. So I came downstairs to the home hub having like a yellow blinking light. I was like, oh no. Yeah. And then Plusnet didn't come online until about 1pm. <laughs> so granted, it was only like five hours, but it made me realise how much you take it for granted. Yeah, you really almost, do. It's almost at like running water status. Yeah. You know, like if, if the internet goes, it's mass panic. What are we going to do? Kind of feeling. Yeah. Um, especially as I wanted to do a load of work in the morning. So that kind of wrote the morning off. But um, yeah, definitely, definitely get the internet before you move into the house would be my advice. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's uh, especially in our current situation as well. You know, it's the lifeline back, back to the UK and um sort of keeping in touch with everybody and stuff um but it's also little stuff like you know you don't know where everything is so you sort of go oh where's the shop that would do such and such or you know stuff like that we're googling stuff all the time um and yeah it was for that reason you have a new zealand phone yes i've got i've got um, a new zealand um sim from vodafone um i've actually killed my contract with three from back home oh yeah. yes i remember talking about three last week actually yeah um so what the, what they do is they do these um travel sims um you sort of get them from like the tourist information place um and then i think it was um oh crikey it'd be about probably 50 dollars be the equivalent of about maybe 30 32 quid um, but that's given me three gigs of data to use as and how I want, um, and 200 texts and 200 minutes. But those texts and those minutes can also be used to the UK. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So it's not not the price I want to be paying every month for my data here, um, but all the other bits are useful because we're sort of in this weird transition where I have actually needed to ring the UK a few times. Um, I had to tell our ex council off because they um, they took money when they shouldn't have done uh, for our council tax. <laughs> Doesn't sound like the council. Uh, no, God damn it! Had I, had I not just killed the direct debit, they couldn't have done it. But yeah, so I've, I've since judiciously gone through and killed everything. Absolutely oh, you everything. Be careful with the direct debits, though. You can't just go cancelling those. Yeah, I know, I know. So, oh, Heather did it once. She thought she was cancelling a washing machine insurance, but she was actually cancelled our life insurance. Ooh, yeah. Angry letters, very, very quickly, or um, very polite letters, believe it or not. Okay. Um, but she phoned up the washing machine people and gave them such an earful. Like, How dare you take money when I cancel the direct debit? What on earth are you doing? <laughs> They're like, well, you haven't cancelled it. And it's kind of like, oh God, what have we cancelled? <laughs> <laughs> oh no. So yeah, it's reinstated now. So uh, yeah, yeah. So all, all is where it good. should be. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got to sort of stuff out like that soon as well. Um, so my, my life insurance is still in the UK for the moment, um, which means that I can... As long as I pay the policy, it still covers. There's just something about my um, sickness benefit or something that that isn't applicable because I'm here. Right. Um, and I think essentially what what would happen is, is I, if I was completely incapacitated, we'd need to go back home. Um, and as provided we did that within six months, the cover would still kick in. 
Um, okay. So it sort of seemed like a no-brainer to just keep paying it for now until just I can figure out. It. Yeah, to figure out a better deal because um, I, I suspect it's going to be better to pay it here. Because longer term, what will happen is um, that'll mean I'll end up having to send money back to my UK account to pay it, and that's that's just messy. Um, so I'd, I'd rather not be doing that. Um, yeah, so all these little things. We found out how to send money across as well. Um, so we can sort of send savings across. And I knew, I knew there were services that you could use. And I knew that my bank would do it, but give me a, sh- a crappy in- interest rate. Um, and I found one called um, Orbit Remit. Right. Okay. Uh, so what's the deal there? You, is that like you send money home to be saved? Um, it's to send, for us to send, well, we're using it at the moment, send money um, from the UK to our New Zealand bank accounts. So say, right. to bring savings across, essentially. Um, and what it is, it's a remittance service. So the way it works is you um, you set up an account with them online. Um, you give them your um, your bank account details so they know what bank account stuff should be coming from. Um, and then you agree, you agree how much you're sending across. Um, so say so you're going to charge £100 over. They will then charge you a £2 fee um, for doing that. So they're cheaper than the bank already, I think, at that, in most cases at that point. Um, and then they give you a preferential re- um, interest rate versus anything that you could get through a bank, usually. So, where they, where, well, not interest rate, rather, exchange rate. Conversion. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so if you were to just, like, back it from one account to another, you'd get stung yeah. by the banks. Yeah. Right, okay. You get stung on the conversion, you get stung with a, a, a fee. Um, we ended up with, like, um, I think it's about a £4.50 fee from HSBC. And the conversion rate, if it was, like, one point, say it was 1.78, HSBC were offering about 1.7, 1.71. Um, and Orbit Remit were offering 1.75. Well, that's much better. Yeah. So it's, it's, as soon as you start talking any volume of money, it's a complete no-brainer. Um, the only thing was, was yeah, you're talking a volume of money, and do I trust this service or not? Um, so I did like a, a sort of test test balloon last week. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and, and now I've since sent across like the amount that we're going to need to, to do this rental and stuff for like the bond and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so there's, there's a lot, lot to this, isn't there? Yeah. Moving to the other side of the world. Yeah. Just a bit. Um, <laughs> so uh, just a, a little bit fried, um, I think over the last, last few days, but have a house now, hopefully. Um, and um you know that's that's everything then sort of starts linking off of that well keep saving those pennies cuz the iphone 8's coming <laughs> <laughs> yep oh, what a cock up though with all that leaking i can't believe it mm i mean i like what we were saying yesterday you thought it was i was thinking sort of a controlled leak yeah um i i I wondered whether it was a controlled leak um, in terms of like, was was this a bit of a, a honeypot full of information 
you know, that Apple kind of wanted to get out there to sort of um, do that kind of preemptive marketing strike. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if um, Touch ID is going and Face ID or whatever it's called is coming in with this this phone, you know. Face um, ID. Yeah, obviously a better <laughs> name. Call it Face ID. Yeah, me too. That that that, that would suck. Um, but <laughs> if if that's the way things are going, then you know I, I could well imagine that Apple would do some sort of controlled leak that would kind of mute the response on that. Very similar to what we saw in terms of the um, the headphone jack. Um, and when that was taken away with the iPhone 7, everybody knew it was going before it happened because of the way things came out and the, the information that was leaked ahead of time. Um, so when it was announced, by the time it was announced, there was kind of no way that the press could take that and, and, and run a complete negative, oh my God, what the hell are they doing out of the blue? Because all that press and that media cycle had happened already. And so my initial reaction to sort of the leaks last week around the iPhone 8 and, and um, it does look like Touch ID is, is, is no longer going to be in the phone. Uh, my initial reaction was to wonder, okay, is this kind of a controlled leak to sort of manage the outgoing of Touch ID? Um, Soften the blow. Yeah. But as we've seen over the last week, um, and, and we were sort of talking about offline, um, there's been so much so many details that have sort of been taken out of this firmware that I don't think it's a deliberate leak. It sort of feels like too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think they gave away far too much if all they wanted to do was just soften the blow of touch ID, maybe going away. Yeah. Um, I, they wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if it stayed. No. And I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like I know they said we haven't found any. Um, there's nothing in the software to indicate that there's an under the display touch ID sensor. Yeah. But then I, th- I think we maybe spoke about this briefly um, on Slack or something. But my question is, would there be anything obvious in the code to suggest that there is? If touch ID, if if there is the hardware under the screen, mm. you can read your fingerprint through the screen. And it reports back to the OS in the same way as the current Touch ID sensor does. I yes, it's the right fingerprint. No, it's not. Yep. Just because the hardware is different, would would that show up? I mean, I don't know. I don't know enough about it at that at the kind of iOS level. Yeah, I'm not sure how different hardware exposes itself. Um, and I'm not sure what the the firmware would necessarily say or not say in that way in in terms of what was actually. Um, actually there that people have been pulling through um i guess i guess the proof of that would be is there anything around touch id in the firmware for the existing devices that um that support it yeah that's a good point um but you know like like you're saying you you would you would see the 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 links and you would see the references back to it you wouldn't necessarily see anything that indicates all that that does or doesn't exist on the new phone yeah. Um, yeah. I, I must admit, and this is where, I, again, my sort of spidey sense around controlled leaks was starting to tweak. The more I've read about it and the more I see about um, whatever the, the, I don't want to call it face ID, but, you know, whatever this is. <laughs> um, That's the show title. Yeah. The, the, 
the less upset I kind of feel about the idea of no longer having Touch ID. Um, I don't know if if you've seen sort of some of the um, the latest sort of round of leaks that suggest that um, it's doing something to recognise your face even when it's not looking at you straight on. Yeah, so if it's like just sat on the desk. Yeah. I read this morning. If you've got your phone on the desk facing up, um, it can kind of know you're there. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Um, I, um, on a bit of a side note, I used a Samsung Galaxy is it S8, the new one, one with the curvy screen. Okay. Uh, I used one of those um, at the weekend, and that, that does it. That does kind of facial recognition. I, d- I don't know if to what extent it, it does it. I didn't really have a huge amount of time to play with it. Um, but the person who owned the phone just kind of got into the phone really quickly just by holding the phone up and it recognising the face. There wasn't a lot on the UI that suggested that anything was even happening. Right. Um, in the sense that there was no kind of... I almost expected it to kind of show like... You know when you put your webcam on, you see a preview of yourself sometimes. Yep. I almost expected that kind of thing to happen and then like a big tick to come up in green or something and then it lets you in, but it just let you in. Just unlocks. Uh, and then that that did seem quite nice. Mm. That seemed very compelling. That was like, oh, that, that was cool. Like, just pick up the phone, you're in the phone. Yeah. and uh, There is a touch ID sensor on the back of the phone. Okay. And that just reinforced everything that I've thought about. That is just totally the wrong place for it. I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and I think the case, the case that the phone was in, covered up the Touch ID sensor, which was even weirder. Right. So on the odd, the, the view that um, the person whose phone it was took was like, oh well, I don't have to use it that often, and when I do, I just take the phone out of its case. Yep. So, so it would be yeah. it would be a very typical um, Apple way to go about this to say, okay, well, that's something we can just do without. You know that that sort of like elimination of something. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, the, the thing that bothers me in terms of getting into the phone, um, I find touch idea frustration at the moment on my iPhone six because it's kind of slow. Yeah. Um, and ever since iOS 10, where you kind of have to put your, your thumbprint over the scanner and then click because with iOS nine, you just kind of wake the phone and as long as your fingers on the scanner, it will just let you in if it works. Yeah. But then as when the 6S came out, the fingerprint, the Touch ID scanner got so good that even if you just went to quickly check the time on your phone by just clicking the home button, that brief second of contact would unlock the phone and let you in. Yes. So you can kind of see the argument as to why they made a second click to confirm, yes, I do actually want to go beyond the lock screen now. I'm not just checking notifications all the time. Um, But on my 6, it's really quite slow and a bit clunky. And I just kind of spend... The first couple of seconds when I wake the phone, just kind of click, click, click on the on the yeah. touch ID sensor, yeah, no, just I, hoping I, it's going to let me in. Do you remember things kind of getting to that sort of stage on my sort of former six, and yeah. on the seven, um, it's just You've got race to wake, haven't you? Yeah, race to wake, and um, again, the sensor is so fast that it just feels smooth, to be honest, and and, and touch ID is really, really good, um, but. Yeah, I, I could see there being a case for, you know, if if this facial recognition is is good enough and quick enough, and it is, a, you know, seamless pretty much in terms of you raise the phone, it recognises you and you're you're in. Um, you know, I could, I could 
see that kind of getting to a point where touch ID doesn't feel necessary anymore. Um, I'd be interested though to sort of see how um, how things like Apple Pay work. I think it's going to have to be doubled up with an on-screen kind of thing. Yeah, you're going to have to give it some sort of um, some sort of obvious input to say that you are okay with that. Doing the ID is one thing, but but it's the when you press on the button, um, you know, when when you confirm with Apple Pay with Touch ID, it's a very deliberate action. And you'd need some sort of confirmation again with combined with the facial recognition. So that that interests me well, to see would, how they do it. That would almost double up on the reasoning behind the implementation of the feature, how the, the phone can recognize your face if the phone's at an angle, i.e. lying on a desk. Mm. Because if you think about the um like the payment terminals in supermarkets, you generally have to hold your phone up fairly close to them. Yeah. Sometimes at sort of precarious looking angles. Yeah. So that almost would require that feature. It wouldn't, as and, to it just being a nice, just like a nice to have thing. Yeah, and I guess the confirmation would be very much the same. You know, you press the home button while it can see you. Um, yeah, and then that 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 would kind of do it. Um, I mean, even if you have to like sort of press on a button and hold, and then like a little progress meter goes up that takes a couple of seconds to fill, and then when it fills, it confirms the payment. Yeah, so you've got that couple of seconds to be like, oh no, I don't want to do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's certainly, I mean, there's tons of UI tricks they've got in the bag. I'm sure that could make a nice, a nice job of it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just, I'm quite curious now. I've sort of gotten beyond kind of, you know, oh no, they can't take away my Touch ID. Um, to just sort of be more, yeah, I want to see it. I want to see how they've they've done this. Um, yeah, because the the implementation implementation here could be, you know, really quite quite cool and quite interesting. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you've had like kind of the best implementation of Touch ID, and I've had one of the worst. Yeah. So we're both coming from different sides of the field on this one. But I think if I'm reading you right here, Dave, both of us kind of potentially sort of seeing that we could be happy to give up Touch ID and and, and see what this is. Yeah, sure. I'm. I, I don't have a problem. Yeah. Um, I may feel differently if I'd been living with your seven for the last twelve months. Um. um but no. I've got no real issues personally. Uh, there's other things as well within the leaks I was reading earlier on today, um, where it was sort of saying that um, it's going to use infrared. Um, oh, is that so it can do it in the dark? Yeah, but but equally, I'm wondering if that also gives it an extra layer of um, of security after a point, um, because you could imagine that it might be possible to. Um, 3D print a mock-up of somebody's head to some degree, or, or you know, print off their picture. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wonder whether the infrared imaging actually gives a level of depth, and obviously, you know, you can check whether something is is kind of warm compared to the things around it or not, and things like that as well. So I wonder whether like infrared um, imaging there could could give a little more um, sort of from the security side of things. I think so. That's not kind of how the uh, Kinect worked. Um, the Xbox camera thing when it first came out. Yeah, I can't remember exactly how that worked now. Um, I, I think you're probably right. Um, and it did. It provided depth information based on, on what it was seeing in the infrared as well. Um, yeah, you could kind of get the depth 
um, certainly with some of the hack drivers, I seem to remember that um, it was possible to kind of read the depth of each individual pixel um, that was coming through. Um, but that's that's another thing I kind of was, was thinking through as a dev earlier on is is that if we've got the ability to read infrared on the phone in one form or another, and it's probably at a lower resolution than the regular camera or whatever it is. Um, but that could be really quite interesting as something to play with um, development-wise. Um, and I suspect, you know, first time round, there's there's no way that that we will get full access to that data and that information. Um, if it's just being used generally for the for the face recognition and the lock, um, then I could imagine that 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 infrared reading is is something that we won't be allowed to get to. Um, but I'd like it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I arc it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I have to wait for WWDC for that, maybe. Yeah, night vision apps, you know. But there could be some cool like games you could maybe make, like the way if you have to like move your head in a certain way to control the game. Yep. There could be there could be some cool kind of thought experiments going on there. Yeah, absolutely. And so that as a dev, I think there's there's a lot to sort of be interested in in terms of what this could be pointing to. Mm. No, absolutely. Um, and what do you th- what do you think they're going to call it? I hope they don't call it Face ID. <laughs> oh no, I mean like the phone in in general. Um. So I don't know if you've seen this as well, but I've seen the um a few rumors describing it as being the iPhone Pro. Yeah. And I really dislike that as an idea. Oh. Okay. okay. So my my point being is is that with the current naming format um every every <clears throat> year um it makes sense in the lineup for for Apple to to kind of sell last year's model as as being more of an entry level kind of phone, you know, that the the, the devices come down the line um so i'm guessing if we were to look on um look on apple's website now they're yeah they're still selling the 6s and that is there as kind of the cheaper standby if you don't want to get the the 7 um if you market the phone as being the iphone pro i'm not sure where it goes next year um yeah you see i I find it kind of harder explaining this year's lineup to people that aren't familiar with the matter than I have done in the past. Yeah. So I would personally go for a lineup of the iPhone sort of 7, 7S just becoming iPhone, then the Plus becoming the iPhone Plus, and then this new one being the iPhone Pro. To me, that makes sense. That that kind of explains the lineup. Yeah. So you've got regular iPhone, which is every bit an iPhone, good phone. You can buy this phone and you can't go too far wrong. Yep. If you want a, if you want a bigger phone um, that's basically the same but bigger, the Plus, that makes total sense. And then if you want, you know, the, the shiny new cutting edge, crazy features that maybe we're not ready to roll out to all the other phones, you've got the iPhone Pro. Yeah, that, um, that would make I sense. Now we've kind of got the Plus. I find the S years make it harder to almost say the name of the phone yep without making it confusing um so you kind of got like the 7s plus which to me doesn't really roll off the tongue very well yep um 
and just trying to explain this year's lineup to to family members, you kind of say, well, you're going to have the seven S and the seven S plus, and then the whatever they end up calling it, and it almost kind of puts this extra phone, this new phone, it almost like puts it on an island away from what will be, let's call it the seven S and the seven S plus. Yep, it almost isolates it, whereas you almost want to kind of make the naming from each one flow almost like a step so you got the iphone the iphone plus then you go from the plus to the pro if you're calling it something completely different to 7s 7s plus it almost it makes it maybe harder mentally to kind of sort of move yourself up through the lineup if you start just by considering the iphone and you think oh what about a plus yeah and then the next step is to think oh what about a pro but then if it's kind of like you've gone from 7S to 7S plus, and then maybe this eight thing or whatever they call it, because it's following a different naming convention, maybe on some level that makes it seem unobtainable when perhaps it could be. That's, I, I completely agree with you there, Dave. Um, I hadn't really thought about it in, in that sort of sense, um, but that could work. And, and that would sort of see um, the numbers um, becoming less important. Well, we're getting quite high in the numbers now. Yeah. Are we really going to be saying the iPhone 13 and the 13S and the 13S Plus? Yeah, when you think about it critically... that's not that far away. When you think about it critically, the only thing that really matters now is, is the release year. Um, you know, so year on year, that, that, is, that is all that's really happening. We're not seeing iPhones being released um, interim. You know, you're not, you're not kind of seeing... The, the S models come out six months after the, the model that they've sort of superseded. Um, so, yeah, dropping the numbers could could work. And then, as you've just said, it would, it would flow. Um, so, yeah, but that, that kind of squares something around the iPhone Pro naming for me. Um, I mean, I suppose they could every year kind of just call it the new iPhone and the new iPhone Plus and the new iPhone Pro. Didn't they do that with an iPad one year? They just came out and everyone thought they'd call it the iPad 3 or whatever it was, or 4. Uh, yeah. They said it was just it was just the new iPad. Um, pretty much, yeah. Because uh, they, kind of, they kind of toyed with the idea of bringing the, the kind of the air into the, into the um, iPad lineup. Yes. Because obviously initially that started out with MacBooks. Well, that happened. We had the Air um, and, the, and the Air yeah, 2. Yeah, we had the Air and the Air 2. And then that was that. Um, and now they've just gone to iPad and iPad Pro. Yes. Which again kind of adds a bit of weight to the iPhone theory in that if they're going to do it on the iPad line, yeah, the iPhone line is the next logical step to roll that kind of thing out to. Yeah. Um, I always found the Air thing confusing especially well in the context of the iPad and the and, and the MacBook because if you think about the word air mm. when it was used in the context of the laptop it was all about sending a message that it was super thin and super light yes and it didn't necessarily send a message of performance no but then in the iPad the top end iPad at the time or for a certain time was the iPad Air 2 yes so that was almost sending a conflicting message of yes, this is really thin and light, and it's the most powerful one. Yeah, I, I never really liked the the air name being used in the no, iPad. It, it, it didn't it, it really just, make sense. I mean, I still really dislike it in in the MacBooks, and it makes even less sense now with the twelve inch MacBook being just MacBook. Yes, because it's more of an air than the actual MacBook Airs. 
yeah. the MacBook Airs are there with their non-retina screens and their fans and <laughs> their many megahertz upgrades that they received at WWDC. <laughs> they just don't seem to make sense. Um, I guess it's just there to hit a price point. Yeah, and and it it on for the MacBook for the MacBook Air that there is, I believe, an an element of um, of like brand and model the naming recognition there um, that perhaps I wasn't really aware of. I've sort of seen people mention it that you know people do actually still look for the Air. Um, I'm not sure who those people are because <laughs> I don't think um, they're people really in the sort of um involved with the tech in the same way as iOS devs are, you know. Um but apparently, yeah, the, the MacBook Air still has a strong brand and that is something that is one of the reasons why they're still selling it. Um and I think you're right. Yeah. Well it, it, I think it just confuses people that aren't overly familiar because my cousin went by she wanted a an Apple laptop. Yeah. And she kind of went around the houses of, well, do I get a 12-inch MacBook? Do I get a 13-inch MacBook Pro? And those are the only two I told her to consider, given her budget. Yeah. I didn't even consider the MacBook Air because I thought, well, it doesn't have a retina screen and therefore I'm not interested. Yeah. And it's kind of old hat anyway. Um, and, of course, I get a phone call when she gets to the Apple store being like, well, you never told me about this MacBook Air. What's what's the MacBook Air? Where where does that sit between the <laughs> Pro? And, and I'm like, oh, no, you just confused just, yourself now by yeah. looking at these. Just don't. <laughs> just don't even walk away. Them, walk away. Pretend they're not there. <laughs> but she's like, but they're really thin and they look quite nice. It's like, yeah, but then look at the MacBook in that case. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and and um, the... the um, I was going to say they don't still sell the 11 inch now, but that that was also there was also a confusing time. I think of crossover with the 11 inch, and then the 12 inch MacBook as well. Um, briefly, where where they were sort of being sold side by side, and, yeah. and that was. I mean, that the 11 was inch odd. was great. The 11 inch was great, but then the 12 inch was almost the 11 inch size, but with a 12 inch screen, and it was Retina. Yes. So, I, yeah. Once again, I haven't managed to go a whole show without bringing up the uh, MacBook. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get one, obviously. <laughs> uh, was there anything else within the uh, the sort of many uh, leaks that we've had and sort of trickles of rumours in the last week that you wanted to talk about at all, Dave? Um, I suppose that there's the display and the notch at the top, yep. which kind of look interesting to me um i saw a mac rumors article as to whether the notch should be embraced or hidden mm. i don't know if you saw that yeah i did so what do you think i think the, the, if we line up on the this. article sort of concluded with embrace the notch um that's good that's, that's what i think <laughs> yeah i was gonna say by the time i got to that point i, I was sort of in agreement really um if it's gonna have it if that is indeed you know, the shape, um, it makes sense to sort of work with it. Um, I'm actually interested in terms of what that then means for other sort of parts of the UI. And does that sort of mean, you know, again, are we seeing this more bottom focus kind of thing going on with the way the UI is? Um, that would that would be fine by me, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, like, use a navigation controller as an example, the sort of back button and the sort of right bar button would be down the bottom yep. next to the home button. Yeah. Yeah, and again, that would stack up with the whole um, sort of bold titles. Yes. Because when you look at it on 
the generation of phones we have now, there's quite a lot of wasted space going along there with the, the navigation bar at the top yep. and the big bold title. Um so yeah, you may maybe there's a bit of like forward planning there on Apple's part, sort of waiting for this phone for it to sort of present that in, in the way they'd maybe hoped it could always be displayed. Yeah. Uh, but I think just that notch, when you look at the when you look at it running you know on, on the screen, the the shape define the, the the notch defines the shape of the overall screen. Yep. Almost giving that phone a sense of identity. Whereas if it's hidden it's just like another regular iPhone that's just a little bit taller. Yeah, or worse, it sort of starts to blend and look like sort of competing brand phones as well. So that, like you say, there's there's something there about the idea of you know, embracing the notch, as it were, that sort of um, does help make it seem distinct, um, which might be something it starts to fight for if the home button is kind of embedded in the screen. Um, and things start to sort of go more to a, 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 you know, buttons down the bottom near the home button as well. It starts to get closer and closer to some of the way the soft buttons work on some Android devices. Um, yeah, that's true. So, you know, okay, the notch, as it were, may look a bit odd and may may seem a bit odd, but yeah, you're right. There might be something there in terms of um, it, it giving this new phone a bit of identity and also look at the marketing that surrounded the galaxy s8 in that they kind of poke fun at if you see like a generic icon for a phone it's basically like the original iphone Mm. in like a line icon format yep and they're kind of saying unbox your phone so like you know get rid of the bezels and you just got these very thin bits at the top and the bottom yeah so they're like trying to redefine the common perceived shape of a smartphone and and this could be apple's kind of a defense attack on that perhaps yeah so this is this is what a phone looks like now it's kind of edge to edge except for this little bit at the top and that is that is quite a, like a memorable shape yeah i say memorable maybe not memorable but it's it's kind of quite distinctive um so that could maybe be part of their sort of brand awareness for that one line of phone yeah perhaps. with 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 the loss of the the sort of distinct home button as it were yeah yeah um i mean as for the resolution of the screen um it seems like pretty much what we thought in terms of physically it's going to be perhaps a little bit wider than an iphone 6 and roughly the same height as a 7 plus yep which seems to stack up. I was reading um, that article that's been spread around on Daring Fireball, um, sort of speculating on what it might be. And that seems seem, seems to add up. So it's basically going to be, well, as I'm saying, like this is definite. <laughs> it's, it's looking like it's going to be um, a resolution of 2436 by 1125, but that'll be running at 3x. Yep. So if you kind of divide that by three, that gives you like a, a point resolution of 812 by 375. Right. And then if you look at the iPhone 6 or 7 or 6S, um, that runs at a kind of um, point resolution of 667 by 375. Yeah. So the widths are, are the same in terms of points. And obviously the newer phone is going to be taller. Yeah. But I think it's the the pixels per inch that's being speculated for the new phone. Uh, that's 
speculated at 426 pixels per inch. So again, if you divide that by three, that brings you down to 142 points per inch, um, which is slightly lower than that of the 6, 6S and 7 of 163. Yeah. So the lower points per inch mean that sort of physically it will be slightly wider. Right. Because like each point is bigger. Therefore, when it you know it turns into a physical device, it will be ever so slightly, slightly wider, but not by much. Mm. So I think we can roughly expect, give or take, the width of the iPhone six, seven, um, with with the height of of a of a plus. Yeah, I suppose. Um, that sort of point. No complaints from me. No, <laughs> uh, and, and again, that that points to to everything about sort of removing um, a bit more of the the beveling on the sides while sort of still still remaining that kind of size. Yeah. Plus it'll be running at 3x mm. if, if this is to be believed. So it's kind of, you know, we're getting even more pixels for our money in that sense. Yeah. Because if it's going to be roughly the same width and the, the 6 and 7 run at 2x, yeah, we get, we're getting sort of 3x for that. So that's, that's quite exciting, I'd say. Okay, that just about wraps up today. If you've enjoyed the show, we'd love for you if you could uh, give us a review on iTunes. Or if you're an Overcast user, we'd uh, love it if you could recommend us just by hitting the star button. That would really help us out a lot to reach more like-minded developers. Um, Also, just another final reminder that we have our very own Slack channel that we'd love to invite you to. Our hope is that it can be a great place for fellow developers to come and hang out. If you'd like to join, there'll be instructions in the show notes, or you can send us a message on our Twitter account at WFRpodcast. So before we go, Dave, where can people find you online? Um, You can find me on Twitter at DWRoboHeads. That's RoboHeads with a Z at the end. Um, And you can find my applications over at RoboHeadsWithAZ.com. How about you, Dave? Uh, Yeah, you can find my remote control for Cody at armchair-remote.com and my latest app to help kids learn to read, which is Space Readers. You can find at spacereaders.com and on Twitter, I'm at underscore Dave Knott.